<laughs> All right, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we're always happy when we can meet together as the body of Christ, enjoy the fellowship that there is in, uh, in the Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we study today, study your words, Sola Scriptura, we pray, O oh Lord, that you'll hide your word in our hearts so that we don't sin against you, that you'll sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, none of you are unfamiliar with uh, the Reformation. And the whole concept of sola scriptura, which was uh, the root cause, actually, of the Reformation. There was a debate over the authority of uh, Scripture in the, in the broad scheme of things, whether there were other authorities that were on the same par as the Scripture. Uh, and, of course, we've come to the conclusion that they, there is nothing, that, uh, that Scripture alone is... Uh, is binding on the conscience. Let's see here. The Reformation principle of Sola Scriptura spoke uh, that uh, the Scripture was sufficient and our supreme authority in all matters that are spiritual. The conscience of man may properly be bound by the words, not of men, but of the words of Scripture and Scripture alone. This was the principle upon which Luther and the Reformers stood. And of course, at the trial of, of uh, worms, that was uh, his compelling argument in the end. That uh, Scripture alone could bind the conscience. Now, it's an interesting concept, this whole idea of conscience and binding the conscience. We don't think about that in our day and age a whole lot. Um, and so uh, it's because we're frivolous, honestly. We're not bound by hardly anything, and our culture's not really very bound, is it? It's pretty uh, loose. Yeah, when somebody says, oh, I promised to do that. I promised to come over on Friday with a certain grandchild, and <laughs> Friday passes and nobody shows up. <laughs> Somebody's conscience wasn't bound. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the idea here is that uh, Scripture should bind the conscience, but nothing else should. There's that verse, I think it's in Proverbs, I run within the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Oh, Psalm 119, that's what it is. Yep, I run within yep. the path of yeah, that whole psalm is, uh, to, speaks to the importance of Scripture. Sola Scriptura is not a claim that all truth of every kind is found in Scripture. But what is found there is all that is necessary to make one wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. The most ardent defender of Scriptura, of Sola Scriptura, will concede, for example, that Scripture has little or nothing to say about DNA structures, right? 
little about microbiology, about the morphology of thunderstorms. I had to learn that from somewhere else. About Chinese grammar and its rules. Or about rocket science. Sola Scriptura has little or nothing to say about this or that scientific truth in our day, whether or not that scientific truth is in fact accurate. But on the subjects that the scripture speaks, the scriptures speak with absolute authority. And that's an important concept to get into our hearts, that the scripture speaks with absolute authority. So it's not opinion. And it's not, oh, I think that's a good idea. If the scriptures speak to a particular subject, and they do so authoritatively, and by way of command, we have to say, yes, sir, and do it. We just must. The scripture stands above all other truth and its authority and certainty. Therefore, scripture is the highest and supreme and final authority on any matter on which it speaks. And scripture speaks on a variety of subjects that are outside the immediate sphere of faith and life and godliness. It speaks of meteorology in some places, and it speaks authoritatively on matters of meteorology on which it speaks. So when God says that as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest, summer and winter, it will not just all be summer. God speaks authoritatively in those matters. It is admitted, however, that there are some important questions that Scripture is silent on. And Sola Scriptura makes no claim to the contrary, nor does Sola Scriptura claim that everything Jesus or the apostles ever taught or said is found written in Holy Scripture. It certainly isn't. You read the end of the uh, Gospel of John, it says that if everything were written, I suppose that there would not be enough paper in the universe upon which to write those words. We are forbidden to add or subtract to Scripture. Scripture in its canon is closed in that respect. And that, uh, that idea was first, uh, I think, uh, shown in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, where God says, you can't add to my law or take away from it. And then at the very end of Revelations, we have the reference that whoever adds to the words of this book, to him will be added all the plagues in the book. And we take that to mean that the scriptures are closed. There's, a, there's another reason that we take to mean that the scriptures are closed uh, because uh, Hebrews 1 verse 1 says that in these last days God has spoken to us most authoritatively through his son. And when the son said 
that it is necessary for me to go away. For if I don't go away, then I can't send the Holy Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. He will bring to remembrance the words that I spoke to you. And so we take the apostles as uh, speaking the authoritative word. And then once the apostolic age ended, so did, uh, so did the canon. Dennis? I was, yes. I was listening to a music thing on uh, YouTube this morning. And one of the commercials came on was a guy speaking about the importance of the book, books of Hosea and making those available to everybody. It's like <laughs> he was saying that there's more beyond what you have in the Bible. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I run into that. I run into all sorts of cool things, especially at the mission. These people, they're interesting because they have their own uh, get-togethers or kind of spiritual things in which they, uh, well, they have dreams and visions. And then they confirm them all amongst themselves. So by the time they come to eat dinner, I'm finding out all sorts of new things that aren't, uh, that aren't true at all. They can't defend them. And it's not that I... I enjoy talking with those people, honestly. And, uh, and I don't make fun of them in the least. But, uh, yeah, people come up with all sorts of additions by all sorts of means... And they're all wrong. I guess the biggest example in our current world is the Mormons with their revelations to Joseph Smith, who supposedly yeah. had a bunch of additional things to add. Yeah. Yeah, nothing new under the sun. Mm. Uh, in the end, the sum of it all is found in our Westminster Confession of Faith. And a, and a good point is made that um, sola scriptura does not mean that, uh, that you can't have creeds and confessions, that you can't have traditions. It's, it means that they can't be held more highly than the Word of God. They have to submit under the authority of Scripture, and that's the way it's phrased in our confession of faith where we read the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, for man's salvation, for faith and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced deduced from Scripture unto which nothing is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or the traditions of men. So... Come to our first set of questions. You need more papers. Your papers, please. Papers. All right. Got two here. Katie, uh, you got one. Yeah. Okay. Then we'll take them. Then we'll take them. All right. First set of questions. What is meant by the doctrine of sola scriptura? Go ahead. Well, scripture only, I guess, is what it's pretty much saying. You're not okay. Scripture also, alone, yeah. Yes, yeah, you know, for, as you said, the apocrypha and all the other you could. These guys have the Catholic Bibles have, and that's not where we're placing our, our uh, assurance. In. Yes. 
Scripture alone has the authority to bind the conscience. What does what is not meant by the doctrine of sola scriptura? I have a great idea. Let's <laughs> hear it. You really don't have to worry about everybody's going to heaven. There's a nugget of goodness buried deep inside of you. Ah, well, that would be. Well, that's for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here I, I was. I was. I'm looking for something that. Uh, yes. Well, uh, it describes. Well, the Romans says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So it is through the work of Christ, but the proclamation of the word has the authority to convert the soul through the work of the Spirit. So the Spirit applies the word, and it's of course the Savior that made the atonement that made all of that possible. Is it, oh. is it indicating that, as we said, that not all, not all things that Christ said or the apostle, the events, it is not all inclusive in a sense that not everything was written. Yeah, that's so, true. So you, so you can say, if it is not written, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that you cannot uh, have an understanding that other things were going on in Jesus' life, relationships or the apostles, meaning. Again, you can't discount the fact that if something wasn't stated, that Jesus was a young boy and he got hurt and he cried oh. and he all the things that you would normally yeah. say. Because often you go, oh, Jesus, Jesus never cried and Jesus never whacked his brother. And I don't know if he ever did. Say. Yeah, because yeah. it doesn't say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, that's as far as we can go. Yeah. Is, uh, what, what the Bible actually tells. What I was looking for here is that a microbiologist doesn't take home the Bible and, and divine the structure of DNA. That there are other things, that, other subjects, and those are subjects on which the Bible is, is um, silent. So it's okay to investigate trees and destiny. Related to that is what had happened to Galileo uh, when the the church uh, took Psalm 93, and, which reads, the world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. When Galileo said that the earth goes around the sun, that means it moved. He ended up being under house arrest for most of his <laughs> life because of that. So that's an indication of misusing scripture. Yeah, okay, that's good. The last question, is there room for new revelation on par with Scripture today? Well, that's an important one. We have to be firm on our answer there. And the answer is no. No. And, and you, unapologetically, no. Somebody comes to you with some new information. Um, and this happens even in Christian circles where well, they discovered a new this or that. And uh, even, even some of this, uh, what seems like kind of, the, the mention of the name Enoch in Jude. And, and people will use that to say that the, the book of Enoch should be elevated to scripture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes? So what would you say then to someone who 
like encourages you to like study the canonization of scripture and like these were in the Bible before and then they were taken out. So what would you say to someone who does read from a, a Bible like the Septuagint that has like those extra books in it? I mean, we call them extra because they're not in here anymore. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say then? Because it was in the Bible and it's still in some Bibles and other traditions today. Well, I would say that there are other pieces of literature that are helpful, but they're not binding to the conscience. So if you're talking about the Apocrypha, then I would say it's not binding to the conscience, but, but it's, not, uh, it's not fantasy. Right. If the, if the phrase, or the, the argument was framed in that, in that way, I would suggest that it's I forget the term. Taking the question, it's assuming the conclusion that they're trying to prove. Oh, that's good. I never was able to reason like that. <laughs> but that's that's good pointing that out. A good, a good resource, yeah. um, Michael Kruger. Um, he's kind of the, he's an RTS professor, and he's sort of the expert in canon, the history, the formation. And he, he argues that which I agree with, that scripture is, is self-authenticating. So if those verses that Dennis gives us up there, that it gives us everything we need for a life of godliness, so scripture itself is going to reveal the lens by which you measure something. Is it scripture or not? Canon means like rule or measure. And so if scripture really is the final authority, it's going to give us everything we need to be able to spot true and false scripture. Um, and, but Kruger obviously knows about, you know, he has a few different books that. So Michael Kruger <coughs> is a great resource to interact with those. Yeah. An argument you can run against also is, uh, say, the Roman Catholic Church would say um, that the church was the one who finally developed the canon. Therefore, the church had uh, some authority and some of its traditions that uh, they put on par with it because the church was actually the one who said, this book belongs, this book doesn't belong. And, and uh, it's something that, that you'll run into. Yes, it is. Um, we have um, access to a lot of Sproul's teaching. He has a 20-minute segment on canon. It's not going to be like Kruger. Kruger's going to go into it much more deeply. But he'll summarize uh, how... Scripture came about, and and whether or not there was uh, uh, two thousand potential uh, books that were winnowed down to sixty six, or whether it was actually um, far more clear than that. Well, Dennis, isn't this a, this is an ongoing problem that we have that Satan would love to confuse and deceive uh, believers into somehow grasping on to other things. I mean, I've got family members that, are, that I, we discussed who are embracing things that you and I would say, oh my goodness, it doesn't mean they don't have faith, but their faith has definitely been challenged and confused by a lot of these other folks that they've embraced. Yeah, I never want to be in that place where I challenge the authority uh, either the infallibility of, of Scripture 
its authority over me because once that's uh, once you're going down that road then the scripture is whatever I want it to be and the parts that I don't like I don't have to be subject to so whenever I hear this argument that um, oh, e- even a simplistic one that I run into that uh, the context, the culture of the day changes the meaning altogether. And unless you know what I know about the culture and the context, having been a Jew or being exposed to their, you know, their practices, why then you'll never be able to comprehend the scripture. I don't believe that. You know, he makes the point that that those things that are necessary for life and godliness are set forth plainly. Not in one text, but in lots of texts. It doesn't matter whether you're using the New King James, the King James, the NIV, the ESV, and these important matters, they speak the same. And uh, so we, we can take the Word of God to be authoritative. Yeah. Uh, our theologian, <coughs> Mark Twain, <laughs> uh, was asked about well, all these things in the Bible that are hard to understand. He said, yeah, the things that bother me are the things I do understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> uh, uh, Sola Scriptura answered another important question that was debated during the uh, Reformation. And this had to do with uh, what is God's word? Now, you might say, oh, that's simple. I mean, it's right over here. (laughs) But in the Roman Catholic world, they had what was called a tri... What was it? I've written it down somewhere. Anyway, it was a trifold... uh, system of authority that included uh, scripture, tradition, and the magisterium. Now, some of that uh, kind of uh, has been brought forward in a denomination like the, um, like the Mormons that have new revelation. Uh, that the, and that's sort of like the magisterium. Uh, the, they, the Catholics believed that those three had equal weight. And so Catholic tradition was elevated to the level of um, Scripture. And the magisterium, that was uh, the descendants of Peter. So Peter said, you know, they take the verse on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then Peter, uh, he gives his authority to the next uh, so-called head of the church, and and there's an apostolic uh, line that descends through Peter and includes all the popes. Well, if Peter can speak with authority then those that descend apostolically from Peter, meaning the popes, well, they can speak with authority too. 
And so that's, that's their reasoning that the magisterium then uh, decides new doctrine. That's how, that's how there came to exist um, oh, uh, the, the, the midpoint between heaven and hell. Purgatory. Purgatory, yeah. That's how that came about, along with all the, the other penance and, and how that, that's viewed as far as a, a means of grace. So the magisterium. Well, of course, that uh, that went only so far, and it got uh, Luther in a lot of trouble. Because uh, Luther said that the magisterium that had come up with all of these ideas that had to do with... Uh, uh, oh, what? Like authoritative. Yeah, yeah. The, the various uh, getting people out of purgatory oh, with your indulgences. indulgences. <laughs> that, that, he stood against that. And that was uh, the magisterium that had come up with that. So in the end, uh, Martin Luther is credited to the, with this quote, unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust either the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the Scriptures. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not retract anything at the Council of Worms, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience, which was bound by the Scriptures. May God help me. Amen. And that became really the beginning of the Reformation. Well, I have a little uh, 10 minute segment by Sproul in which he described some of these things and I thought it was kind of cool, so I get tired of talking. Really? <laughs> Not very often. Okay, and if you want to listen to the end of that, I'm going to be selling it after. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Anyway, we have these, and and uh, I'm willing to uh, to put you in contact with get that those uh, set of I think there's 60 total lessons that uh, are systematic theology. I want to make the point. Here at the end. Um, in the end, of course, we believe there's only one standard uh, for perfect spiritual uh, truth that the scripture alone. And, and, and it leads us to some activities that we, an approach to preaching the word that is different uh, from other, um, other parts of God's kingdom. We require that uh, that our that our scripture that that we preach the word of God um, within the context, uh, so exegetically. So when Dustin goes up, he reads through the scripture reading, 
he, uh, he may set it within the context, uh, a larger context. But his job is to exegete this scripture. His job is not to use the scripture as a springboard to his favorite subject. Um, he should be staying within the flow of that particular verse. And so he's simply exegeting, explaining it to you. And that keeps the scripture as being primary. And Dustin as being the spokesman of God and not the spokesman of Dustin. Uh, because I've been caught in that before. <laughs> But that's the view that we have, and it comes out of this idea of sola scriptura. Um, anything else? Only the word of God has a power to transform and to reform churches. I think this is a good point that uh, the reformers were not innovators. The reformers were excavators. They were rediscovering what had been known during the time of Augustine and earlier known during the time of Timothy in the first century church. So we must preach all the word, not picking and choosing certain parts. We must preach it exegetically. Uh, we must preach only the word. We must preach all the word, tota scriptura. And when these two things go hand in hand, then the power of the Spirit is released upon the congregation of God. And the whole point is that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. We're not stagnant. We're not satisfied with where we're at. We want to grow in our understanding. And that produces sanctification. Exclude the word, and you will not uh, you will not experience the sanctification of the spirit. The spirit uses the word to sanctify us. But by the same token, when we do use the word, the Holy Spirit in us does take that word and accomplish a good work in us, sanctifying us through and through. That's our lesson for the day.